welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. How how many of you enjoyed JP's word he gave last week if you were here? Good stuff, huh? So thankful for him and uh, who he is in my life and what he means to the church. He's just a really, really awesome person. JP and I were college dorm mates at LSU freshman year. So we know all of the worst things you could think about each other. But we pull the gold and we love one another. He's just a dear, dear friend. Yeah, the worship team is just amazing. Amber's not in here, but she does a phenomenal, oh, she's back there, phenomenal job leading worship. Um, I'm going to keep saying this, just something about what God's doing in our worship team that's just amazing. The first part of the service is always just so awesome. I'm like, God, please just don't let me torpedo this That now that you're in the room, you know. Maybe we should just all lay on the floor and let God come and no one should talk. But um, it's funny, I, we, we were a church, we kind, of, kind of a church, small group thing we were doing for like six months, and I was in no rush to have a worship leader. Um, I just wanted someone who knew my heart, and um, I'm, I'm a pretty thought-out and diligent guy, probably to a fault at times, and I heard Amber sing for about 30 seconds, and I was like, okay, she, she's the one. God, God, she's the worship leader, um, and it wasn't just how awesome she sounded, but I could just, I could feel God's pleasure on her singing, and uh, she's just done an amazing job, and the, the team keeps growing, and people are inviting us to do worship, and I just, I absolutely love it, but um, yeah, glad you guys are here tonight. It's going to be a, a good night. I have something on my heart I feel like God is, is going to share, so um, speaking of LSU, LSU football is coming up. Starting in about a month. Go Tigers, Go Tigers that's right. Um, we, um, I, I'm an LSU fan. I, I, I know I'm, I'm a unique guy. I have a lot of special interests, but I love some LSU football. I actually bought some Nike LSU shoes because I'm 35 years old, and I and I have four. I have four children, so um, I, I'm, I'm loading up on my LSU gear, which is fun. On Wednesday, I was a part of this luncheon with Coach Ed Ogeron, and I just got jacked up. I was like, man, I cannot wait for LSU football. I, I left around 25 thinking there's more to life than LSU football. Baton Rouge needs to get control of themselves. I came back at 30 thinking LSU football is the most important thing in life, and we should all go to LSU football as much as possible. Anyway, support our team. The better they do, the better our city does. They thrive. It pours into our city indirectly. So uh, I'm just really excited about that. So JP said this. I just want to highlight it again. Thank you guys for serving. It it takes a lot to make church work, those of you who have been around church. And so, um, yeah, thanks for volunteering. Uh, Leah and Miss here, there may be others in the back volunteering right now for Kids Church, which is huge. We're just really thankful for that, just to keep the ball moving forward which is always a good time. I'm going to go ahead and do this now. Brett, won't you stand up? Guys, this is Brett. Brett, wave your hand to everybody. Brett Brett probably has the most servant heart of anyone I've ever met in my life. He is so kind and just models such a great heart of an aspect of the heart of God. And Brett's uh, living in Redding for at least another nine months. He's doing the School of Ministry out there in Northern California. He came back for the summer, and he is going back out to Redding. And so what I wanted to do is just 
pray over him and send him out. You guys good with that? Brett just going for more of God. So if you're around him, you can lay your hands on him. Um, I, I, <clears throat> Brett has a heart for missions. And I told him behind the scenes, I just want to be honest with you. I'm praying that God had you come back to Baton Rouge and not Japan. No, <laughs> uh, no whatever, whatever God wants, I want. But he, he's just an amazing, amazing person. And we just want to send him out. So God, we just ask for favor and protection. And we agree with what you're doing. We agree that you've sent him to this school. We agree with what you're depositing in his life. God, just pray for the right people at the right time, favor with leadership, favor with friends, financial protection. Yeah, and just a whole lot of fun. That um, He wouldn't be in a rush just to enjoy this time. Bless this nine months in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome, guys. Well, uh, I'm going to jump right in so we can do some ministry stuff at the end. Again, thanks so much for being here. Love what God's doing at Cedar House. I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to talk to you tonight um, something that's really important to my heart, and that is repentance. I've labeled, I've titled this sermon. Thank you, Josh. I have uh, titled this sermon, His Kindness Leads to Repentance. Can you say that with me? His kindness leads to repentance. And I'm going to base this sermon off of this scripture. Um, Romans 2, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read out of the ESV, um, but you can read however you want, and hopefully it's behind me. So um, here we go. So this is the writer of Romans saying, Therefore you have no excuse, man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Here's the verse. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. This is permission, this verse telling us that God's kindness is what leads us into repentance. Say it one more time. His kindness leads us to repentance. All right, I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. God, I thank you so much for being so close to us during worship. And I thank you for being an awesome God. Just pray tonight that you would shift how we think as we were singing about, and I pray that um, we would leave different in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The story I'm about to tell you is a real story. I did not make this up. This actually happened on Friday, and my wife gave me permission to tell it. Um, So Stacy and I have been married almost 10 years. It'll be in two weeks. It'll be 10 years married, and yeah, yeah, that's right. Going, going strong. we're tired. We have four kids. Uh, so how many of you have multiple children and know not getting sleeps like, amen? Uh, and so what we decided was we're not going to do a big party or anything this year. We're going to wait for our youngest to get one year older, and then we'll throw like a big like 11-year bash. So we're going to push ours one back to the 11. I know 10 is a big deal, but we're going to do 11. But yeah, we've moved around the country a little bit, started a church, had four kids, built a house, started a business. Just we've we've done a lot. We're we're pretty active, driven people, and so we we 
we just we do a lot. So keeping connection between us is a, is a, is our highest priority in the midst of family, in the midst of management of life and everything we're doing. And so we always try to go on dates. And what we've realized through the years is going on a date at night, it seems to be more difficult for us. Now, again, if you have children, um, getting a babysitter lined up, you know, getting a babysitter lined up, like one child can't be sick. Which restaurant are we going to go to? Do we want to spend our money on this? Is this after it's all said and done, we're so tired. We're like, let's just sit in the car for an hour and a half in silence, you know? So we're, we're gauging all of this stuff. And so we had this idea, Stacy's a little bit, she's, she's kind of a homebody, you know, which I love. And so she's like, well, why don't we start doing like mid morning coffee dates or lunch dates? It seems to work better with like babysitting and all that stuff. So we've been trying that recently. And this last Friday, we were uh, scheduled to go on a date. So I was excited about it. We were going to go to Bistro Byron's on Perkins. Does anyone like Bistro Byron's? Anyone know that spot? Pretty cool spot. They have a, I get the steak frites. Um, that's basically steak with fries. Um, but I substitute the fries for vegetables because uh, I'm getting older and I can't recover from carb overload anymore. My recovery time is, I'm not, I can't just shrink back. So i um, getting smarter as I get older, but I enjoy the steak free. So anyway, I'm leaving work. So I'm dressed nice, got my sports coat on. I'm excited to meet my beautiful wife for a, a hot date at one o'clock on Friday. And so we, we text all throughout the day. We're constantly texting just if you need anything, you know, what's going on, kind of know each other, what, where we are throughout the day. And about 30 minutes before, I haven't heard anything from her. I was like, oh, that's a little weird. I was like, she's probably just busy. Uh, and I knew that she had an appointment. So I was like, well, she's probably just caught up. So I called her. She didn't answer. I texted her. She didn't answer. I was like, oh, that's a little weird. So I'm like, well, I'll just go ahead and go. So I go, text her again, don't hear anything. Call her again, don't hear anything. So I walk into the restaurant. Got the, uh, I bought her flowers, so got flowers, dressed up nice, I'm excited, I walk in, I thought, hey, is my, is my wife here yet? She may not be here, so I'll just go ahead and get a table, I'm waiting on her, so, you know, the the server's aware, like, oh, like, this is great, you mean your wife, you got flowers and all this stuff, you know, and so, about 15 minutes in, past one, still nothing, and so since she sends me a picture of saying, sorry, I can't make it with with her halfway through getting her hair highlighted. My wife stood me up for a date. You're supposed to laugh. She, she, I told you she gave me permission to tell the story. My wife stood me up for a date, and she called me, and she felt so sorry. She lost track of time, but at this point, she was too far in, and she couldn't change it, you know? And that is a real picture, and I did that to punish my wife and show you that, no, I'm totally kidding. I, I, I sent that picture to her. But anyway, it was, it was funny because, you know, so guys, just be honest. Now, when that happened, I thought, I don't have to do the dishes for a month. <laughs> I am so good right now. I'm like, I'm so over the top right now. There's my wife stood me, literally told me to meet her at a restaurant. I bought her flowers and she didn't show up. And I thought, I, I'm good forever, you know. No, so I had to do some navigating on my heart. And I thought, um, I, 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 per, I don't deal with anger or blame. Um, anger and blame's not in heaven, nor have I ever seen either one produce fruit. So I just don't deal with that. 
But it was interesting watching the motives of my heart of what I wanted to, how I was going to respond to that. See, my natural, unrenewed mind, old self said, I wanted to say, woman, you will repent for your behavior and you will tell me how awesome I am right now. I need you to come here right now and repent for your behavior. Amen. Unrenewed mind. Uh, I didn't do that. If you're young in marriage, don't do that ever. Never do what I just said. That would be a really bad idea. Um, but it's interesting. I just told her, I said, hey, it's totally fine. I totally get it. Just an honest mistake. I'll just go back to work. There's nothing to it. She felt so bad. She lost track of time. It was just, you can imagine, she just felt really, really bad. So get home that night. And uh, she told me, she said, I just really appreciate how kind you were in this process. And I really appreciate how you didn't blame me or hold it over my head. See, any, any, any part of me that wanted to lord over her in that moment or to make her feel bad comes from a place of wounding or a place of insecurity in me. And our God's not like that. So for me wanting to say, you will repent you will not do that again, and I want you to feel bad for it. All of my motives in that are, are small, and they come from insecurity. And God's not like that. That's not how God's repentance is. So this issue of repentance, it's something that I spend a lot in my quiet time with God. I spend a lot in this subject of repentance with him, but it's nothing I really discuss publicly. And I've heard a lot of conversations around it recently, and I just kind of wanted to bring some clarity to it some thoughts around this subject. So typically as a Christian, when you hear the word repentance, it has like guilt attached to it. It has shame attached to it. It has this woe is me thing. God's really distant from me. I'm really far from God. And it's actually all about me and how deprived I am from God. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys, um, when I, if you're like me, I hear the word repent. And I think of like a picketer, like on the corner of a busy street with like a sign that says repent, like, you know, something like God's mad or God's going to judge this generation. You need to repent, turn or burn type thing. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament, God would actually have people do that. He would have their stories in the Bible where God would say, I want you to go to this certain city and I want you to tell them. Um, the judgment that's going to come on them. I want you to tell them if they don't change, this is what's going to happen. Now, that's the Old Testament model. So I believe in every word in this book, and I love the Bible so much. This is the written word of God. This is such a gift to us. Everything we do needs to be grounded in this word. I love the Old Testament. How many of you love the Old Testament? Love the stories of the Old Testament. It's our history. It's our heritage. God still speaks through it today. It is still living and active today. But it is foolish to not note the the shift that took place when Jesus showed up on the scene and how he modeled the Father. When I say something like that, I'm not downplaying the Old Testament. I'm just highlighting Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I can only do what the Father tells me to do. Put it to you like this. If you have a thought in your head about God that you can't verify in the life of Jesus, then you need to change the way you're thinking. Because Jesus perfectly represented the Father. Hebrews 1 says he was the exact representation of the Father. 
I can't afford, it is theologically incorrect to allow something else that I think about God trump what I see in the life of Jesus. Amen? Okay. So in the Old Testament, there was no payment for sin yet. The blood of Christ had not hit the mercy seat. He hadn't taken our sins away. And so we were very, very distant from God. They would go through a lot of protocol. They would go through a lot of things to show repentance. I mean, literally putting on a sackcloth, cutting their clothes, killing animals. Thank God we're not, we don't have to do that, right? Um, Jesus came. The, the blood of the lamb paid for our sins, and now we're abiding with God. And Jesus perfectly represented the heart of the Father. And he modeled repentance completely different than what we think about repentance, the turn and burn mindset, right? Jesus had a repentance message, but his repentance message was through the lens of love. Jesus said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, this is... Old Testament mindset is, oh, God, change everything. Everyone gets scared. God's going to burn the place down. We We better change the way we think. Amen? It was actually legal in the Old Testament, Elijah would do this, to call down fire and burn a city. Like literally fire and burn a city. In the New Testament, Peter wanted to do that. He said, well, they're not listening. He just wants us to call down fire and kill the city. Because he had learned that from the Old Testament. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Let me, let me put it this way. Hey, we don't do that. That's, that's not how we do things. So Jesus is walking around saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, what he's saying is, Repent, I need you to see the kingdom of God. Now, what did we just read? What leads to repentance? That's right. His kindness leads to repentance. Okay, this is the actual word that Jesus went around saying. The word is M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A, metonia. And it's the word for repent that Jesus used. And it means to change the way you think. So I want you to think about this message. Just as, this is Jesus on the scene, not judging. He's saying, change the way you think. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is touchable. It's here. It's present. It's near. I need you to change the way you think. I need you to think differently about the kindness of God so that you can experience me and see the kingdom. This is, this is really good news. God is saying, Hey, think differently because the way you think that it works, it's different than that. It's his kindness that leads to repentance, and you'll see the kingdom because of it. The word actually means to change the way you think. And if you keep going, if you break it down more, it means to actually, if you're going this way, change the way you think till you turn this way. <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, hey, you're thinking like this. I want you to start thinking like this, and you'll see the kingdom. Okay? Repentance became. Old Testament to New, it shifted from woe is me, I'm deprived. It'd be, it, it shifted from being all about me. Over here, it became all about his goodness. Do you get that? 
It's not about what I'm capable of, which is old mindset. The new mindset is, God, you are so good. I repent. I change the way I think, and I'll let your goodness wash over me. It's not about my what I'm deprived by. It's, by, it's his goodness reigning over me. Listen, repentance is a sign of strength, but it's not beating yourself up. Are you with me? Is this as good news to anyone else as it is to me? God's really good, and he's just saying, hey, shift the way you think. Listen, the, the idea that we need to beat ourselves up and think low of ourselves so that we're closer to God is the weirdest. Like, just think about that process. God needs us to feel beat up and low to be close to him. Listen, Paul says on our best day, we're filthy rags. I'm totally with you. Like, God is God. Like, we, we are we're mortal beings. But when it comes to repentance coming before him, it doesn't make, it makes my, if my daughter came to me all the time and just said, I'm just pathetic. I, I just can't, you know, I'm just pathetic, dad. I hope you're proud of me and I can't do anything good and I'm just not good. I'd be like, what do you, I, don't, I want you to win. Are you with me? So God is saying, change the way you think and you'll be able to see the kingdom. I want to um, read you this famous story. It's a very well-known story. It's uh, the story of Zacchaeus. How many of you heard of Zacchaeus? It's uh, it's really the, the picture kind of explanation of it is, is really kind of cute for like kids church. It's a very common story. I asked my oldest daughter this morning, I said, have you, have you ever heard of Zacchaeus? And she immediately knew all about Zacchaeus. Um, just kind of really cute, but it's, uh, it's actually, it has a lot of meat in it. Um, I, w- I want to read this story. We'll kind of break it down, but I think this is such a beautiful example of what it looks like, how Jesus modeled repentance. Amen? Um, okay, Luke 19, verse 1. We're going to read through 10. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Okay. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And he has gone to be he would he has gone in to be the guest of he who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have if I have defrauded anyone if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to the house, since he is also the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay. A little side note here. Apparently in Scripture, and I've can, in my own life this has been true, somehow hunger moves God. When you are willing to get uncomfortable or inconvenienced out of a posture of wanting more of God, it appears to attract him. For example, he, he, Zacchaeus is a wealthy man. Everyone knows him in the city. And he goes and runs up, gets up a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus meets with him. 
um, the story of the woman breaking protocol and pouring oil on Jesus's feet. He, he enjoyed that moment. They were cutting a hole in the roof to see Jesus, and he met that person at their miracle. The, the, Peter stepping off of the boat, Jesus valued these moments. It's like when you step out of your comfort zone for God, he sends, he, he'll meet you. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like heaven is just attracted to being inconvenienced. <laughs> um, anyway, Zacchaeus modeled this. So there's a story here. So Zacchaeus, everyone knows Zacchaeus. He's the town tax collector. You've got to pay your taxes to Zacchaeus. And he's a short guy, and so he's got to climb this tree. And he, he climbs this tree, and he sees Jesus. It's this amazing story. Everyone knows Zacchaeus. And now Jesus had been healing people, raising the dead, I mean, driving out demons. You can imagine the amount of people surrounding him. Walks through the crowd. He notices Zacchaeus' hunger. And he says, Zacchaeus, I want to have dinner at your house tonight. It's just amazing. You can imagine what the people are thinking. Zacchaeus joyfully allows him into his house. And as it says so many times in Scripture, which is so beautiful, Jesus is reclining with sinners. And I love how it, the, the Bible kind of says that. He wasn't there being aggressive and saying what they were doing wrong. Jesus is hanging out with sinful people. And the religious people were bothered by it all the time. All the time. So Zacchaeus welcomes him into his house. And they have some form, and heaven will get to watch this. I can't wait. Some form of engagement where the, the next line just says, Zacchaeus, all of a sudden, of one encounter with Jesus, one engagement with Jesus, after Jesus just hanging out with him in his home, decides, I'm going to give away half my money to the poor. And anyone I've stolen anything from, I'm just going to give them four times that amount of money. Think about this ripple effect. The city's watching. Jesus goes in with Zacchaeus, engages with Zacchaeus. Now all of a sudden, the next week, people are getting a knock on the door, getting back their money times four. All going back to this encounter. Think about it like this. A monetary revival took place because Jesus' kindness to sit down with Zacchaeus. What, what happened in this moment? Zacchaeus, you have to think, this, this, this is the most beautiful example of kindness changing the way you think till it changes your behavior. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you're going to burn and you're an idiot. And you need to go give everyone their money. He just engaged with him. Zacchaeus is going this way, thinking this is life. He encounters God, learns who God is through kindness, and he shifts and he writes all of his wrongs and then gives away half of his money. Isn't that incredible? What happened there? His kindness led to repentance. So here's the deal. The kindness of God and changing the way we think are in tandem. Okay. So to the measure that you believe and trust in his goodness and his kindness is to the measure in which you will shift the way you think. To the measure that you are willing to let his kindness wash over your life is the same measure that you will repent. So here's my question. How good is God to you? How kind is God to you? 
not I'm not trying to pick a fight with other theology here, so I gotta be careful. I just if Jesus modeled him perfectly and kindness leads to repentance, then any thought I have where he is mad at me, upset with me, or disappointed, it's really hard for me to believe that's coming from him. Jesus made it so clear. He said, "If you've, he, he said that they, they were confused on who was God and who was not. And so he said, all right, here's the deal. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give life and life abundantly. He just made the job descriptions real simple. Is something in your life still killing and destroying? That would be under not God. And if you are leading to life abundantly, that's God. Me walking around having guilt and shame and calling it repentance doesn't lead me to God. It's what the worship team was singing tonight, the goodness of the Father. This, this is, if you're going to be, it's, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing this in 50 years. So you're more than welcome to take this journey with me. I'm never going to waver on the subject that he's good. He's a good father. I don't care what the circumstance says. I don't care what my life situation says. I'm trusting that he's good in all situations. And I'll give thanks for his goodness in all situations. I knew God my whole life because I was raised in a great home. But I fell in love with him about 11 years ago when I found out he was good. I, I was confused of who he was or what he would do to me until I got the glimpse of his eye of the goodness of the Father. Listen, God doesn't give cancer. God didn't didn't want you to give a divorce. God's not trying to hurt children. Can, Can you imagine Jesus hurting a child and saying that this is the will of my father? Here's what I'm trying to get to. But secretly in our hearts, when sometimes tragedy or bad things happen, we still blame God down to even our personal finances, something's not going right, and we want to blame God for it. All I'm saying is if you have a cavity in your mind that limits his goodness, you cannot change the way you think in that area. So if I, if I don't think God wants to provide for me financially, and I'm not renewing my mind there, and I'm not repenting in that area, it's not going to change. Jesus, someone walking up to Jesus and I'm saying, this, this is the blindness that my father gives. I can't heal you. I mean, it, it just, just one. If there was just one, there's not one example of that. I love it so much. I love his goodness. I love his kindness. All right, here's the deal. Um, when you start believing in the goodness of God, we talk about this a lot in the school, but I just I'm trying to I'm going to open up a cavern here, and hopefully I don't confuse you too much. It can go into a fairy tale land where you start creating your own theology about like a fairy tale god who doesn't have emotions or doesn't have the right to get upset, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about within biblical principles, learning His goodness and His kindness. Here's the thing. 
when you will devote your life to saying, God, your goodness will reign supreme in my life, that here's this shift that happens. And my quiet time with him, it looks like the Old Testament. I'm like, God, you are so good, and I am not, and I need your help badly. I mean, it's the equivalent of me tearing my clothes and putting ash in, like the whole, I'm not going to kill my goats outside, but it, it has this, when his goodness comes at me, and I know he's good, I want his pruning. I want his discipline. I want him to chastise me because I know that it's leading to more. Does that make sense? It, it's not, it's, it comes actually back full circle to where it, it swings back when you know that he's good. Letting his goodness renew your mind and having you in a state of repentance brings you back to even being more humble than before. See, on this side of the fence, it's not about me. It's about his goodness. On, on Over here, it's about my performance and my behavior. But when I know that he's good, I'm completely yielded to it, and I'm completely crushed by his goodness. It's a good word. I need some amen somewhere. Oh, man. Um, okay. So the last thing I'll say. Reagan, you can come on up. Um, the... the the goodness of God, I, I, I try to hit this from like 50 different angles throughout the year of how kind God is just through the lens of repentance today. But I, I do want you to see that. I do want you to see that Jesus is actually talking about shifting the way you think until it changes your behavior. And it comes through his kindness. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.